Hello, and welcome back to the Radical Parenting Podcast. My name is Tony Shawcross. Hey, I'm Kara Porbaugh. And Kara picked our theme for today. It's one that's exciting to me. Kara, do you want to tell everybody what we're talking about today? Yeah, we're going to talk about Mr. Rogers and his long-standing TV show and the uh, couple of films and documentaries that have come out recently about him. I'm currently what, obsessed. Yeah, what made Mr. you Rogers. what made you want to pick Mr. Rogers? Yeah, you know, I got on this jag because I was um, there's a Buddhist teacher here in Asheville where I live. Um, it was Alea Dickinson. She kind of off the ha- off the cuff mentioned Mr. Rogers in some way, and um, I went home and watched the videos after I had been at Satsang with her. And um, I first the first one I watched was the Tom Hanks film. Um, what is that one called? I mix them up. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, I was really moved by it and really um, surprised. Like I never thought of Mr. I thought of Mr. Rogers as just kind of being this sort of harmless children's TV guy. I never really got the depth of what he was doing, at least not when I was a kid. I think I watched him a little bit maybe, but not not a whole lot. And, um, and then I started watching watching his actual shows with my daughter and it was like satsang with Mr. Rogers you know like the way he stares into the camera and makes contact with you as if he's talking to you you know and there's all there's all these ways in which I was just so surprised that um it's there was something relevant for me about radical parenting and radical honesty that I would have never guessed at because he could not be more opposite of our teacher, Brad Blanton, the founder of Radical Honesty, right? Who like, like Brad's sort of known for being, um, uh, I don't know, sort of rough around the edges and, and brash and bold and loud and aggressive and, um, and, you know, we also know him well enough to know that he is like, can be a sweet teddy bear. And, um, but there's, yeah, I'm interested all about kindness and gentleness, which doesn't necessarily align with radical honesty. And yet I think there's some stuff that we'll talk about that is so much in line. And I got, I got really, um, I got a lot out of those documentaries and, and watching his shows with my, with my daughter. Well, before we get into it, I, I just want to riff off some of what you were just saying. And one is that when I first met Brad, I said something to him about like, it's not that we're not all being honest. Some of us just aren't as angry as you are. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that that is kind of true. I, I think that like someone like Fred Rogers, it's not that he was just suppressing himself all the time. It's that he, he, was, he was very disciplined probably in setting up his life to, to, 
to be as kind of peaceful as he was and that that was his like honest true self that's largely what that tom hanks movie is about is about the the journalist like not really believing that this man is is who he seems to be and um and yeah i mean brad also even always says you know like it takes meditating it takes surrounding yourself with loving people it takes it takes self-care to 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 be joyful and to be in like a good place and i do think brad had very different experiences probably growing up than than fred rogers did and i do think brad had has potentially more anger than a lot of people and 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 brad rightfully helped me recognize that that you know you wouldn't necessarily know thinking through your brain you have to kind of try it on and let out the anger and let those things out because we are taught to suppress that and suppressing it makes it stronger doesn't doesn't make it go away uh, but anyway, I do think that Fred was also being honest and that he just he just had a more peaceful spirit and nature than than Brad does. And we're all just born with what we're born with. And, and so I'm glad Brad lets his out and I'm glad Fred Rogers uh, let his out. Yeah, there's even one spot. I, I believe it's in the documentary um, because one of the mo- more recent films is a film. Tom Hanks plays Mr. Rogers and um, it's based on real life. And it's based on this magazine writer who wrote this story on him and was really moved by, by meeting him. And so I think in the documentary, they talk about anger and they talk about, you know, like that they just, it was absolutely not okay in their families growing up and that it still remained a challenge for them throughout their lives to express anger. And, and so I think it's, it's cool how Mr. Rogers does it in the show because he's playing all of the puppets. He's doing all of those voices Mm -hmm. and he's sort of like expressing all these different aspects of himself through the different characters. And so even though Mr. Rogers in sitting as a human being in front of the camera, he doesn't get mad on camera. Right. Um, But he brings it up like every chance he gets. Um, I even remember the last show I watched with him, there was like a, he often has guests who will come and like read a poem or play the saxophone or jump rope or whatever it is. And um, he, the saxophone player said, I like to play happy music or whatever. And Mr. Rogers, you know, immediately goes to like, what kind of music do you play when you're feeling sad or when you're feeling mad? And so that's his big thing is that, um, all feelings are mentionable. I love that word mentionable. And that, that was my, my favorite part of the film actually is that near the end of the film, the magazine writer, um, his father is dying. And my father just died a couple of months ago. That's probably why that particular film was so emotional for me at the time. And I, I saw myself in this footage, you know, this um, scene where the family is sort of, the father's obviously dying and nobody's talking about it. And I had this experience many times with my father before he was dying. We would sit around and, you know, I wanted to talk about it, that he was dying. And so I did, and we did, and I'm, I'm, I'm I feel sort of tearful right now talking about it. Um, 
but you know, it was on me as like the radical honesty person to sort of bridge that gap between what's comfortable and not so comfortable. Um, but after a while, you know, we learned that like, I would much rather be uncomfortable and bring up like, you know, you're dying right now. You know, what is that like? Then to sit around and not talk about that is like even more uncomfortable. Anyway, I one of my favorite quote, quotes from the film is Mr. Rogers comes and visits this magazine writer um, and his father while he's dying. And he notices that they're sitting around not talking about the elephant in the room and says, you know, death is something many of us are uncomfortable speaking about, but to die is to be human and anything human is mentionable. Anything mentionable is manageable. Anything mentionable is manageable. So I'm crying right now just thinking about this. It's, he's so kind and gentle, but like that is the message of radical honesty. That anything human is mentionable. Whatever it is, we can talk about it. And that it becomes more manageable when we do talk to other people. Yeah. I had a few things coming into radical honesty in my life that I had never talked about and to talk about them just made me choke up. I could not speak about them. And, uh, Mm. and in the first radical honesty retreat that I went to, I shared some things I had never spoken aloud before and in workshops since and in workshops that I've led. And now it just doesn't choke me up anymore. Now it's just like part of my life and part of my story and part of my background. And yeah, the first time telling them some of them I told during my life story, we do this exercise in radical honesty where we, we spend an hour kind of telling our life story. And some of them I told during my life story. So I'm lucky I have video of me sharing those, those stories for the first time. And it's just so anguishing and so painful. And one of them, I just went on a little trip with some friends, a little road trip, and and we we drove past Pueblo, which is where my grandma lives and or lived, sorry. And one of my most painful memories and most traumatic experiences involved the death of my grandmother, which was very traumatic and painful. And I'm not going to share it right now, but it was just shocking to me that I could tell them all that story. And I think I cried a little bit, but but it's nothing like the first time I told it, you know, it's healing to talk about that stuff. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, even though Mr. Rogers, you know, is so kind of calm and collected, um, he does talk about it. So there's a difference because in radical honesty, we really practice fully expressing in our body and our voice and everything, you know, um, expressing, emotion full as fully as we can with the intent of having experiencing the experience fully so that it then comes and goes and we're on to the next experience and so you know even if mr rogers doesn't do that he he just he writes all these songs about um what do you do when you're mad? I forget the exactly how it goes, but, and he says, do you, 
play on, do you bang on the lowest keys of the piano or, you know, do you um, swim as hard as you can or stuff like that. And um, it comes, it just comes up so many times in his songs. There's one that I'll pull up here if I can get around to it. So early on, I don't know if you guys can all see this, but early on in my uh, work with Radical Honesty, I I just, I, I didn't, I kind of wondered, you know, you're, you're practicing, if you spend a lot of time expressing your anger, you're, you're practicing being angry. And I think on some level, Brad would say, yeah, we get so practiced at suppressing our anger. We need to practice expressing our anger, honestly, and let it out. But I did find this, this, um, this research from, Mm. from Iowa state university that, that did show that, that, catharsis therapy and 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 ruminating on on anger versus kind of re- redirecting your focus to other things like more fred rogers kind of things um this study argues and finds through the scientific method and through data that that venting anger in certain ways feeds the flame doesn't extinguish the flame um, and so uh, I really liked reading about this study. And when I shared this with, with Brad, Brad just said, well, we don't do catharsis here. <laughs> um, and that, that, that's, that that's not really what, what radical honesty is about. Radical honesty is about giving healthy release valves for things that we're suppressing, um, things that are in us and 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 what we should be comparing is does suppressing or releasing anger extinguish the flame or feed the flame not does ruminating and recalling and and practicing anger versus something that maybe you would have let go anyway uh feed the flame so it's a it's a it's a it's a delicate kind of the distinctions are aren't aren't major and it's a good question to be having but i yeah, I like that that answer that you were just describing because I rem- I think I remember reading that article when you shared it. And my thought on that is that's what we're doing in radical honesty is we're trying to get to the, a very specific way of expressing that does help us actually get over it. Mm-hmm. Our main way of doing that is trying to get out of our interpretation. So as long as we're in the interpretation, like... I know this is how it works for me. I can just get deeper and deeper and deeper into my own like rightness about my interpretation. And then as soon as I actually look the person in the eye and feel the sensations in my body, everything changes, you know, Um, it's different people. And we're just trained not to do that, to actually look somebody in the eye and say, I'm really mad at you. I resent you for what you said to me. Um, and that there's something about the directness and the cleanness with which we try to take all the interpretations out that, that helps us actually get over it rather than ruminating and building our case and becoming more righteous and more angry and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I have no question that like Fred Rogers built habits the words we say to ourselves and the words we say to our children become the way our brain is wired. And, and so you can practice ways of being and ways of talking that wire your brain for 
anything, anything you want. Wire your brain for being angry. Wire your brain for being at peace. Wire your brain for whatever. Uh, and yeah, it takes, takes deliberate practice and sometimes even discipline to, to practice being who and how you want to be. I've thought about this with this job of mine. Sometimes I'm like what it takes to be a good manager here isn't always 100% aligned with what it takes to be who and how I want to be, you know? the practice that I'm getting here at my job running a nonprofit or media organization in some ways really lines up with who and how I want to be for Arlo, for my son, for my partner, when I'm in a relationship, sometimes it really lines up with all that. And sometimes it doesn't. And a few years ago, I made a decision for myself that when, when I find those two things at odds, I'm going to choose practicing being who and how I want to be outside of my work and i'm not gonna not gonna i'm not gonna instead just do whatever this organization needs um i'm gonna find other ways for this organization to get what it needs other than me being ways i don't like being like a total taskmaster total control freak a total um you know as, as strict as sometimes I think a good manager needs to be as manipulative and inspiring as a good manager needs to be um in some ways I've chosen not to do that. I really value self-reliance and episode Karen. I did a, a few episodes back. I really, uh, I really believe in people's own autonomy and their own moral compasses. And, and I want to attract people who are aligned so we can work together to do something that we could never do alone. But, um, but I don't want to ever manipulate people. And, and I think in some ways that makes me not a great manager. <clears throat> So, I, yeah. Yeah. So, and if all any, that what you just said about all that what you just said about being a manager, I I imagine is so relevant to being a parent. Yeah. Too, right. Like, how do I be the person that I want to be, which is basically loving and kind and accepting, and including in that loving and kind and accepting means loving and accepting anger and discomfort and conflict and all the things that are human, right? Loving and being loving and kind and accepting with all of that without being, you know, a taskmaster or a a manipulator or whatever with, as as a parent also when it comes to this manipulation thing, that is, there's something that's just so pure, right? About that. He really, wants every child to know that they are loved and accepted and special exactly the way they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel emotional even just saying that, like that, that, that could be my only job as a parent, my only job. If my daughter feels loved and accepted exactly as she is, then my job is done. Right. Um, and so I think he does that with, you know, the, the eye contact and the, you know, he talks about I and you. And I feel like that's almost like 50% of radical honesty right there, right? It's like eye contact <laughs> and speaking directly with I and you. I appreciate you. I resent you. I like you. I want to sit next to you. I, if there's an I and a you in there, 
you're probably doing some form of radical honesty Mm -hmm. and making eye contact, right? And then one of my favorite things about what he does is he has all these little, so he has all the emotional stuff, right? Where he's got all these puppets and songs and different things that talk about all the different ways that people feel when different things happen. And then there's this other side of Mr. Rogers where he, he has guests come in and demonstrate instruments. And uh, my daughter loves uh, that stuff. It amazes me, actually. And it's fascinating to me, too. Like, I don't know how crayons are made. So there's something about, this is the part that really reminds me of Brad. You know, Brad is so grounded in, like, what is real and what is concrete and what is actually here. And he really believes that that is what is nourishing to us as human beings, not necessarily being in our ideas and in our like mental world, but really being in the physical world, in our bodies, in our environment, that that is nourishing as human beings and that we lose touch with that a lot. And I really think that's what Mr. Rogers is doing is he's helping kids, you know, he's not doing these manipulative messages that sometimes cartoons and other things have. They're like trying to put this like moral tale in there or like put in some little, you know, morality fable in something about how you should or shouldn't be. And he's just saying, like, look at this wide world and all this stuff there is to be curious about. I remember seeing one show for like, he gets out the vacuum cleaner and he kind of shows different parts of it. And then he says, I'm going to turn it on now. And he turns it on. And, you know, it's like a vacuum cleaner from 1978 or something. And, uh, and he vacuums with it. And literally for like a minute, a minute of like a 20 minute show, he's just, he's not talking. He's just vacuuming like in real time, right? Same thing. There was a show where he painted a porch swing and I, I actually timed it. And it was like, I don't know, it was like three or four minutes you know, out of a 20 something minute show where he's in real time, he's barely speaking. He's literally just painting the porch swing, you know? And compared to most television shows for children where it's like, boom, boom, bam, and there's just like so much craziness happening. It's overstimulating even for me as an adult. You know, here's Mr. Rogers, like four minutes of painting. Yeah, awesome. and, but, the, but there's there's something about, you know, the child sees the process of like, you know, you start painting over here and then slowly, 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 the whole bench is covered in yellow paint. And then he comes back to it over and over again. So over the course of a week, Monday through Friday, you know, he says, OK, we can't sit on the bench because the paint is wet. And then the next day maybe they sit on it or whatever. And they, so they come, he comes back to it. So there's like a real unfolding of, of time there where a kid is actually learning something real about how things unfold over time. And that's, you know, I don't know. There's just something really, I love about that letting things unfold in the actual amount of time that they take. Mm -hmm. That's, that's where kids are at. They're in the real unfolding of time. Everything is new to them and fascinating. Mm -hmm. 
And it's fascinating to sit and watch a bench be painted for four minutes. Mm-hmm. And it contributes to them having patience to do those things and not just needing to jump to the next thing. My son is like so, you know, ADD sometimes and, and, you know, is so overstimulated, has so many toys. And I think a lot of that is our fault, you know, is us just surrounding him by so many toys. You, Oh, you're bored with that. Here's the next thing. And, and yeah, or us getting bored with it, you know, and and wanting him to do the next thing or something instead of just sitting there yeah it's awesome yeah i had a few things i wanted to respond while you were talking through all that but i can't even remember what they were so i'm going to just share this letter that i think i've already sent to you that um that really illustrates a lot of what you just said that's kara's daughter elsie jane yelling in the background that's Um, my daughter yeah yeah. i'll be i'll be right back while you share so uh uh, one of my closest friends, Jamie Laurie, uh, one of the MCs of the Flowbots uh, band, sent a note to Fred Rogers when he was a when he was a young boy, probably about five or so. I think he's a little younger than me, so about five. So I'm going to just show that really quick, and it just really illustrates so much of what Kara was just just saying. And this isn't you know an important part of Fred Rogers' legacy, but um, it's just one little letter that he wrote to one little kid. So this was to Jamie Laurie and he wrote, Jamie, your letter was special to me because it came from you. And I'm sorry you had to wait this long for an answer. Uh, not that it needs saying, but just like illustrates what she's talking about. Kara said, if, if I can just teach Elsie Jane that she's perfect, just as she is, every kid is special to him just because of who they are. It's just how they were born. It gave me a good feeling to know you like the song, Look and Listen Carefully. I'm glad you like to think about using your eyes and ears well. That is important. What do you like to look at carefully? What do you like to hear? I also like the way you wrote your letter all by yourself. It takes a lot of practice to write well, and I'm proud of you. You are special. Your television friend, Mr. Rogers. And he probably wrote millions of, uh, well, he didn't write, he dictated as this indicates, but he probably wrote thousands and thousands of letters like this. And they all just have this consistent message and so aligned with, not that we need to always drag things back to radical honesty, but it's so aligned with radical honesty about using your eyes and ears. And uh, yeah, so yeah, thanks for letting me share that. So much of, of children's, you know, I almost started to say propaganda, but the material is about entertaining them, keeping them busy, right? Keeping them occupied. And I think that Mr. Rogers really wanted to serve and be helpful on a deeper level and like actually be of service to children in Mm -hmm. their, in their growing and in their lives, you know, to teach them that, yes, you can do such and such you can make things you can paint things Mm -hmm. you can use your eyes and ears to learn things and um he addressed almost like every topic that you could possibly address right i mean he has hundreds of shows Mm -hmm. maybe thousands i don't know it's like 20 years right of shows Mm -hmm. and um you know i haven't seen all of these but 
things like I, I think it might have been 51 oh no he, he didn't do 51 years it was the 51st anniversary recently but yeah divorce okay. racial equity when yes. when when uh when JFK died just death uh assassination violence yeah right and I I saw one show actually it was a series I'm really impressed with how he can he builds things up over the week I didn't you know as a teacher I see that and I'm like, wow, this is, he's like designing every part of this to build on each other. He had one series over the course of a week on moving, which like he had some help, by the way, there was an, uh, a child psychologist at the, I think it was the University of Pennsylvania that was a mentor for him that really helped him um, understand um, children's development and, and, mental um, patterns and stuff and um margaret mcfarland yeah so i wish oh my gosh i wish this woman would have written books or something because she sounds amazing from what i've read about her and um she she helped him to design his show the way that it's designed so you know she gets a lot of credit here too but something like moving you know, for adults, we're like, okay, moving, it's hard, you know, new house, new job. It's, it's you know, a pain. It's all the stuff. But for a kid, it's like their whole world goes upside down. Mm-hmm. I mean, which we don't often get into a child's mind that way to think like, what is it like to actually move when you're a child mm-hmm. and to have no control over the decision? You didn't get to decide to move leave your friends behind, move into a no house, whatever. So he did this whole, each show had a different approach to moving. Like there was one where he showed, there was like a dollhouse and the dolls were moving, right? Another one was he showed a video of people moving. And he said, well, the, you know, the movers are taking the furniture and putting it in the truck and then driving to the new house and then putting it in the new house. There was one where he, another, where he's somebody in the land of make-believe is moving and the puppets and the characters are going through this move and there's trials and tribulations. So there, and there was probably more that I'm not remembering where he just came back to it over and over and over again, you know, quietly and calmly describing, just describing what's happening so versus giving a child a lecture about you're going to make new friends and it's going to be okay and you probably feel sad sometimes too he's really just giving a kid that opportunity to multiple times kind of have this experience in a very descriptive way and that is so um inspiring to me in like in a very radical honesty way of like in talking to our children and sharing with our children, I really think it comes down to like the more specific and descriptive we can be, the more intimate we can be. Cause we're mm-hmm. like, we're really talking about, you know, the furniture, you know, is moving into the truck mm-hmm. and like noticing how we feel about that. Mm-hmm. And children are so much better than us at doing this, right? Like at noticing. Mm-hmm. So I get to 
noticing and being in that space with my daughter of like noticing and describing. Yeah. And I and- think that really helps children to process mm-hmm. what they're, they've got all this information coming in all the time. And I think the service that we can do as adults is mainly to say, like, to describe and be like, yes, this is what's happening, or this is what's about to happen. And being in it with our child on that level of describing what's really here, what's really happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I don't know if people need to even hear this, but again, this is kind of part of the core ideas of radical honesty is that the first time we see a piece of furniture, uh, we grok it in a way we will never grok it again. We look at the curve of the wood. We, we feel in a different way than we ever will again. And the next time we look at that furniture, we, we put it into a category of furniture or something we've already kind of understood. And then the next piece of furniture, we don't sit there and feel the curves of the wood in the same way. Again, we kind of relate to it in recollection of previous furniture, which allows us to, you know, be a lot more efficient and and whatnot. But eventually we start only relating to the world through categories and, 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 and concepts. And we stop really relating to the world through precepts. And our brain is so becomes so quick at translating a, perception into a concept that a lot of us don't know the difference anymore. We don't know the difference between looking at something and acknowledging it as it is versus the story we've made up in our brain or how it's, you know, being related to things in our past or, or whatever. So it is a core practice of radical honesty and it also, it it helps with a lot of things. It helps, um, it helps with connection with others because the shared experience is out there in the world and these objective things that we're looking at and, and seeing and hearing, and we can connect around those in a way that's usually a little deeper than what we can connect around in our brains because our own subjective experience is never really the same. It's also, uh, you know, the stories and the meanings we make up in our brain are the source of most of our stress. So it helps us, you know, relieve stress sometimes to kind of get out of our heads and into our senses. Um, but I wanted to say that, uh, that, that Margaret McFarland woman, uh, she did start, uh, uh, like a counseling center and was just like started a school of thought with Benjamin Spock and Eric Erickson. So like she was, uh, she was, I mean, it's just, it's just, she was doing awesome work and I had never learned about her involvement with, with, um, with Fred Rogers until we, we decided to do this episode. Um, Fred, and I learned more about Eric Erickson too. And the, these stages, life stage, um, but these eight life stages, uh, which, it's just, it's just, it's just so cool. There's so much to learn about, about, kids and developmental psychology and yeah i mean she was working with two of the like most preeminent people in child psychology so um yeah so fred was fred had some good people working with him i also wanted to say that i love i love his arguments for saving pbs i work kind of in community media and um 
And for me, it's not even as much what he said. Like he tugs on the heartstrings. People make decisions based on on heart more than logic. But for those who want to make a decision about PBS based on logic, PBS has a bigger opportunity to level the playing field for our kids than almost anything. Uh, you know, it's not like we want kids reliant on TV screens and stuff like that, but like he brought he brought Eric Erickson, Dr. Spock, and Margaret McFarland to poor kids all around the country. He brought like amazing parenting to kids of parents who could not spend the time that Kara and I spend reading all these books and, 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 and obsessing over our parenting styles. He brought amazing parenting to kids whose parents didn't have the privilege of being able to be the parents that they might have otherwise been if they had, you know, had the resources and money. So for me, that's like the biggest argument for, for public broadcasting and PBS is like, it can level the playing field. It can give kids who don't have the advantage of the childhood that, that Elsie Jane and, and Arlo have, um, yeah, stuff that they need, skills that they need, knowledge that they need, training that they need. And you guys watch a lot of PBS stuff, right? Yeah. Well, no. she likes, yeah, no, not as much as like, she has a very few shows that she likes and watches over and over again. Um, we haven't gotten that much in. She loves PBS kids, like games. They uh-huh. have these amazing games. I won't let her have anything on her Kindle hardly, but PBS kids. Yeah. Sorry, our connection is bad, but you mentioned. Kindle Tiger, who's based on Mr. Rogers. Uh, I didn't know that. Not the same. No, but he's all, he is a PBS yeah. kids. Yeah, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood is based on, mm-hmm. Daniel oh. Tiger's Neighborhood is based on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but it's all animated and it's totally different. Yeah. Oh, which reminds me, the music is amazing on Mr. Rogers. Like, it's all live. He has a freaking live jazz pianist improvising the whole show, right? Yeah. Like, when's the last time you heard any children's or adult show with freaking live music, Mm -hmm. right? And he wrote and composed most of it, right? And he wrote and composed all this stuff. And the songs are like so good. There's especially like the one, maybe we could even play it. There's one that's called um, Daniel Tiger Thinks He's a Mistake. And there's this whole duet that happens. It's all contrapuntal. And like, you know, I'm a professional classical musician and I could totally geek out on like Mr. Rogers' children's songs. They're so good. Oh, it's one of those things like the doing stuff in real time, you know, and having live music. And he uses the same puppets for 20 years. Can you hear this? Well, for one thing, I've never seen a tiger that looks like me. No. And I've never heard a tiger that talks like me. No. And I don't know any other tiger who lives in a clock. No, neither do I. Or loves people. Oh, Daniel. Sometimes I wonder if I'm too tame. Sometimes I wonder if I'm a mistake. 
I'm not like anyone else I know when I'm asleep or even awake. Sometimes I get to dreaming that I'm just a fake. I'm not like anyone else. Others I know are big and are wild. I'm very small and quite tame. Most of the time I'm weak and I'm mild. Do you suppose that's a shame? Often I wonder if I'm a mistake. I'm not supposed to be scared, am I? Sometimes I cry and sometimes I shake, wondering isn't it true that the strong never break? I'm not like anyone else I know. I'm not like It's so sweet. I, I love the duet at the end and they're both, it's like there's both feelings going on at the same time of like, I wonder if I'm a mistake and I'm too tame. And then at the same time, this unconditional acceptance of like, you know, what the, the woman is singing. So sweet. Yeah. And, and the music is so good. Yeah. And what I'm looking at, by the way, is mrrogers.org and it has every two weeks you can they put up five fresh episodes and what i like about that is you can see them from monday through friday and there's often a theme that's developed over the course of several shows and um there's all these other things on the website too where there's this whole thing about the messages with different songs and things there's special guests and neighbors you know and he's had everyone from like Yo-Yo Ma to like all kinds of different guests. And 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 um, he, I feel like was ahead of the curve too on having so many different guests of different skin colors, of different ethnicities. And that was, he was, you know, he started broadcasting in like 1960s. And um, there's the famous thing, you know, where he has... It wasn't a guest, but the uh, the police officer on African American guy who's like this incredible officer, and um, there was some unrest going on at the time about people not wanting white people not not wanting to swim with black people, and he did a show where he um, you know addressed that by uh, they were like washing their feet on a hot day. Officer Clemens. Officer Clemens. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh. I found the song. I'm going to share it with you guys. And I am actually not sure. Sometimes people are good. That's it. If you know it, sing it with me. I can't hear it. Sometimes people are good. And they do just what they should. But the very same people who are good sometimes are the very same people who are bad sometimes. It's fun, but it's true. It's the same, isn't it, for me and 
Sometimes people get wet and their parents get upset. But the very same people who are wet sometimes are the very same people who are dry sometimes. It's funny, but it's true. It's the same, isn't it, for me? And sometimes people make noise and they break another's toys. But the very same people who are noisy sometimes are the very same people who are quiet sometimes. It's funny, but it's true. It's the same, isn't it, for me? Isn't it the same for you? Ah, oh, sweet. Awesome. Yeah. And what I love about that is that he's saying, you know, like, basically, we don't need to put labels on ourselves. We're always changing. There's nothing about us that isn't going to like you know also be the opposite be true at some point you know <laughs> I love the part about like the very same people who are wet sometimes <laughs> are the very same people who are dry sometimes <laughs> I don't yeah, know if there's something I don't know if it's important but like part of why I like that is yeah it's just it's not it's also not that significant like we put so much significance on being good sometimes and bad sometimes uh we don't right. put as much significance on dry and wet so I don't know I don't know if that was intentional but that's that's why I that's why I like it yeah it's just it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off right of mm -hmm. like that there's not one right way to be that like you know and if I get mad, that doesn't mean I'm like not a good person anymore. He's giving us permission to like, you know, mess up, make mistakes, be different from moment to moment. And that there's no one right way to be. And like, even saying stuff like, you know, having your parents get upset at you, you know, like that's hard for a kid to know that like the big people are upset with you and it's like it doesn't mean as much as we think it means you know and that everything is changing we can get upset and then be happy five minutes later and it's such a core message of radical honesty right that like the truth is always changing and we're just here to go along for the ride and to see what comes up next and ride those ride those waves yeah it's a pretty cool experience <laughs> life <laughs> it is it's cheesy to say but but it is yeah cool all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Kara, for suggesting doing this on Fred Rogers. I didn't know how it was going to play out, but I'm really glad we did it. Uh, we'll leave some links uh, to 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 give you uh, more chances to see more of the great work that he did and the 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 five episodes every other week that that Kara mentioned, which hopefully you can share with your kids. Um, yeah. So thank you, everyone. Uh, we'll see you in another week for another episode of the Radical Parenting Podcast. Mm -hmm.
Bye.